Now, if you remember, we've been going, working on our Bible memory. We tell our kids to memorize scriptures, and we, we, uh, we try to hound them and make sure they do it. But how many times do we forget that you, when you hit a certain age, it doesn't mean you stop. Uh, the Bible says, to hide God's word in my heart that I might not sin against God. And it's important for us to memorize and write these things across the tables of our hearts. So we're going to beginning a, a study through the book of, of Romans this morning. But uh, the key verses uh, for the entire book are found in verses 16 and 17. So we're going to begin to work on these together. So once you've got them found in your Bibles, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 7, let's stand and we're going to... We're going to practice these t together, uh, and then and we'll work on these for the next couple of weeks, and then we're going to try to quote these without any help. And All right, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 7. Let's read them together this week, and next week we'll do the best we can without the help, but work on it throughout the week. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Amen. Let's try it one more time. Verse number 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. You can be seated. Amanda, earlier, well, towards the end of last year, she sent me a, a message. Now, she didn't do anything wrong. She's like, like, what did I do? She sent me a message, and she said, "She said, uh, do you have a word for the year, a theme, an idea that we uh, that we can uh, uh, begin to, to to look at?" And 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 she wanted what she was looking for was something to put on the cover of the uh, directory. And uh, if you notice, if you grabbed one, uh, it has in here in yellow the word faith. Uh, I told her I didn't have anything at the time, I, I, but let me pray about it and think about it. And the Lord laid it on my heart this idea of faith. Now, faith isn't an idea, and we can talk about what faith is, and many times we think about how we need to have great faith, and, and how Jesus told Peter that he had little faith, and we uh, think that, well, it means that God can do anything, and just to trust God, but uh, when I think of faith, and when the Bible talks about faith, yes, there is the idea of trusting God, and we should learn to trust God, but listen, our faith is based upon something very important, the promises of God. Because we can put our faith in something that is substandard. We can put our faith in something that, that it, it, there's no real foundation to it. And if we put our faith on something like that, it will fail. They say, well, uh, I don't, what, do you, what do you mean by this? Uh, well, that, that second verse there that we read, there, verse 16, it says, the, the just shall live by faith. If you cannot live, you cannot live by faith if you don't have faith in something sure. Uh, if you don't have faith in a solid foundation. And the word of God is our foundation, amen? The promises of God are our foundation. We, 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 we live by faith all the time. We, how many of you got in a car to get here? Right? You drove how many miles an hour down the road? Now, some of you drove faster than others. And that's okay. I get that. Hopefully you all stayed within the speed limit. Don't raise your hand and say you didn't and then lie because then the altar's up here. None of you built that car. None of you sourced the materials for that car. None of you even saw it built. You purchased it. You're placing your faith in the workmanship of somebody else every time that you get in that car. In fact, you put your, your faith in somebody else every time you drive down the road because there's other people on the road, and, and every accident isn't caused because you made a mistake. Sometimes they're caused because other people make mistakes. We, 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 we very much live our lives by faith. I actually saw this, uh, 
this article uh, yesterday. That, uh, there's a satellite that's been up in, the, uh, up in the sky for a long time, and it's going to fall. And uh, uh, they said that it's most likely not going to injure anybody. Uh, there, there are some parts or pieces that, are, that they said will not burn up on reentry. And you have a 1 in 9,041 chance of getting somebody being injured by this. You have better chances of that than the lottery. <laughs> now, I'm not saying go play the lottery, but by faith. We just trust that nothing like that's going to happen. But as a Christian, it isn't just a feeling. Faith is not just a feeling in something because feelings are faulty. They're fickle. Right? We, uh, our, our feelings change from day to day. Uh, they're based, sometimes they're based upon our circumstances and based upon what's going on, but that's not faith. In fact, we're to live by faith. Hebrews says this, uh, uh, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, that, that word substance, it, it, it means it's a, it's a, it's a cro- concrete assurance. And those things that have been promised to us, the things that are hoped for, we can live by faith. In fact, the, the chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, goes, uh, gives instance after instance of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and uh, all, uh, many of the heroes of the faith, how they lived by faith. And we have been called to live by faith. Not faith in how we feel, not faith in what we've been told, but faith in the promises of the Word of God. Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17 said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The word faith is only mentioned twice in the Old Testament. Two times in the Old Testament. One said that the people had no faith. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. And, and in, in, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, uh, is the quote, the just shall live by faith. And it's quoted by Paul a couple of different times in the New Testament. It's important for us to realize that we need to have a foundation of faith. And that foundation comes from the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So we're going to begin to look through this this book of Romans. The book of Romans is a very important book in the New Testament. It has changed the lives of countless people. In fact, it has changed history. If you were to go back and look at history, it was the book of Romans that Martin Luther read and studied before he nailed his thesis on the door of the Catholic Church. I don't agree with everything that Luther believed, but there was something happened when the Word of God touched the heart of a man and the Spirit of God moved. So much so that he changed his entire life and changed the course of history. The book of Romans was also instrumental in the life of Jonathan Edwards. Uh, I am right now reading a book about the, jur- uh, the journal of Jonathan Edwards. And in his early years, uh, as, a, as a young man uh, in college, he was part of this group that they had a desire to, 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 to be holy, to live holy for God. And, and uh, they wanted to, to very much live a righteous life for God. And everything he wanted to do, uh, his plan, his desire was to, to honor God. Uh, in fact, he came to America from England and went, went to Georgia and, and, and served and preached and, 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 and preached uh, the Bible and hoping to convert the Indians, uh, the Native Americans, to, uh, to Christianity. But he had a very fruitless ministry uh, here. Nothing really happened at that period of time. And it wasn't until he went back and, and, and came, came together with a group of, of men who, who had, uh, knew something that he didn't. It wasn't a work on the outside. It wasn't a decision to do something good or be good or be holy. But God had to do something on the inside. He understood for the first time that you must be born again and that it was a work of God in us that gives us that salvation. And it was a study of the book of Romans that changed his heart and changed his mind and changed his direction. And we know, uh, from, uh, we know from history that uh, uh, he came back to the, the Americas and preached uh, great revivals and was part of uh, an instrumental in the great awakening, a great awakening along with George Whitfield and many other preachers. 
Now, if the Word of God can affect and change their lives, and we can see how the Word of God can affect and change the lives of, 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 of Paul, the author of this book, and we'll look at that in a minute, why is it so many times that Christians or people that profess Christianity, profess faith, don't live by faith? Because our faith should affect everything about us. It is not just a feeling. It is not just a belief. It is not just an idea. It is not just a theology. It is not just a teaching. It is everything to us. And if it is not everything to you, it will not affect everything about you. But the Bible tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that all things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And God changes our lives. We are not what we used to be. How many times did Paul say, this is what you used to be, but you're no longer this. Now you're this in Christ Jesus. My heart's desire this, this year, and I don't know how long it's going to take to get through the book of Romans, but I, 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 my plan and my hope and my prayer is to preach from verse 1 all the way to the last verse of chapter 16. That may take us a while. And we may cover things, and it may seem redundant, because the first three chapters are, are about the sinfulness of man. It goes into the grace of God. And all through, we may, as we go verse by verse, may touch some subjects more than once, but listen, sometimes we need to hear things more than once. I shared this uh, the other day. Uh, in fact, every time that God spoke to man, to man, he spoke to them and said something twice, because men need to hear things twice. When he said, Saul, Saul, he said, Saul, Saul. He said, Moses, Moses. He said, Abraham, Abraham. Every time he spoke to man, man, he spoke to them twice. He only said, spoke the name of women once, though, when he spoke to... Uh, that's because... It's true. Look it up. But uh, any time somebody would say something to me, I always ask my wife, hey, honey, is, what did they say? Because men need to hear it twice. And that's okay. God gave them to be, be helpmates for us, to help us in those areas, right? Where would we be without women? Still in the garden. Just kidding. Just kidding. That's not my joke. I took it from somebody else, but I do, I do like it. Romans chapter 1. I want to read the first six verses. I'll read the first seven verses. This is the introduction that we have here to the book of Romans, this epistle. It's a letter written by Paul to the Christians in Rome, some Jews, mostly Gentiles, a church he had never been to. But we're going to begin here and see how far we get. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God which he had promised the forward by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the blessings and the instruction. Lord, the power that is in this book. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have its way with us. Lord, I pray that you would give me the exact words to say, uh, that, that, that you would hide me behind the cross, and that we would be able to lift up Christ this morning. Lord, may, may our focus be Jesus. And God, may you be glorified, and may we be submitted unto him this morning. We ask that all that you would have done would be done. All that you would have said would be said, and nothing else. And God, will thank you and praise you for all that you do. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 
as I mentioned, there are books. This is one of the greatest books. The Bible is the greatest book, by the way. Uh, but this is one of my favorites. Uh, there is great power. There's just so much truth, so much doctrine for us to live by, so much doctrine for us to, to, to learn from. It's important that we, that we understand that this is not just about the Romans' road. We take the Romans' road and we, we take those select scriptures from the book of Romans and we, we have laid out this, this brick highway uh, to, uh, uh, to, uh, to lead people to Christ. And, uh, and I'm, there's nothing wrong with those scriptures and there's nothing wrong with using those scriptures and being a witness. And we should be a witness. Uh, but there's so much more in this book and you cannot lay doctrine, you cannot build doctrine off of a select verse here and a select verse there. We need all of it. And the truth is, even in these first six, seven verses, I could preach for a very, very long time. In fact, the very first verse could take us all morning. So we could be here for a while. I will let you go home sometime. Before we get into verse 1, chapters 1 through 3 deals with sin and the state of mankind. They explain to us the issue. Because today the issue is uh, that the heart of man thinks, well, we're not that bad. Uh, how many of you have heard somebody say, well, uh, there's good in some people, there's good in all people, but the Bible tells us the exact opposite. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none good but God. It's important for us to, to see that. And so we're going to, in the first three chapters, we're, we'll look at how God deals with sin. And the emphasis is, is upon God's holiness compared to the, the sinfulness of man. Chapters 4 and 5 uh, tell us about salvation. They teach us that we're saved by grace through Jesus Christ. Uh, what, a, what a blessing it is to see the power of God in salvation. Uh, chapters 6 through 8 tell us about sanctification. It's the emphasis here is how we're going to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and become more and more like him as God works in us through the word of God and the spirit of God. There's some big words, uh, sanctification, justification that we're going to run into and we need to understand that justification is, is that God has declared us to be righteous. Not because we are righteous, but because of the righteousness of Christ. Sanctification is a process that begins at salvation and continues on until the day that we see Christ for the first time. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I, I am confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful truth. Do you know why that's so wonderful? Because it tells me that none of us are perfect. I say, well, that doesn't sound good. I'd rather be perfect. But I know I'm not. And I'm glad that God's not done with me yet. That God is continuing to work in me through the word of God. Yes, he looks at me and sees me as justified. I stand righteous before him in the righteousness of Christ. But God knows my, my fallibility. God knows the flesh that I deal with. And God is continually working in me through the spirit of God and through the word of God to make me like him. So we'll see that in chapter 6 through 8. Chapters, chapter 9 deals with uh, God's sovereignty. Chapters 12 through 16 deals with service. Verse 17 of, of chapter 1 said, The just shall live by faith. Uh, the reason that we live uh, and serve God is based upon the truth of God, what God has done for us. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not Christ, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who I am and what I do, I live because of what God is doing in my life. And we can't get to the service part. We can't get to the living for God part until we have the foundation of the doctrine. Now notice here in verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be the apostle, an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Now Paul's name wasn't always Paul. Before it was Paul, it was Saul. Saul means big. If you remember back in, I don't know if Saul was, that Saul was actually named after King Saul, but it was, uh, it was common to, to take 
uh, men's names uh, uh, that, are, that, are, that are, were famous, that were well-known, and, and use them in, 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 uh, in naming your children. Uh, and sometimes people do that with their grandparents. They'll name their kids after their grandparents. Saul was a big man, but we know Saul had a problem. In fact, he had a problem with himself. Uh, uh, he thought he was much more important and much bigger than he really was uh, because the truth was that he was appointed by God to be the king, but, but because he turned from God and disobeyed God and blamed the people, God took the kingdom away from him. But Saul, who became Paul, the one who were, the, authored the book that we're beginning to look at, he had much to be proud of. In fact, we could take the time and look and read through all the things, but he was a, 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 a Pharisee of the Pharisees. According to the law, he was blameless. He was educated. He, was, he sat underneath Gamaliel, who that may not mean anything to us today, but back in those days, he was an educator, a teacher of the Pharisees, and he was a well-known Pharisee. That would be like sitting underneath some of the greatest minds today and being educated about whatever it is that you're studying. He knew the law of God. He knew the word of God. He was well-educated. He was a man of power. The first time we see Saul in the, in the Bible uh, is in the book of Acts as he, as he holds the, co- the coats of those that are stoning Stephen. Uh, he had a position of power. Uh, he goes from there to uh, he gets a letter uh, written from the, from the, 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 uh, the temple and, and he's going house to house and arresting people and, and having them persecuted for, for being followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, when we see what happens to Paul and the change in Paul's life on the Damascus Road, he is on his way to Damascus to do that very thing. He was a man of position and power and authority. He had everything. Notice he didn't have to pick up a rock to throw it at Stephen. Everybody else did his bidding. But something changed. His name is no longer Saul. Now he's called Paul, and Paul means something different. It's the Greek name, Paulus. Now, uh, he's probably going by Paul now, or possibly he's going by Paul now because that's his Greek name, and he's writing to uh, Gentile nations, and he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, but, but it also means little. He went from being somebody who was important, somebody who had authority, somebody who had power, somebody who based everything upon who he was and, and where he came from, to saying that he was the least of all saints. To saying he wasn't anybody. What happened? He got saved. Look, look over with me in the book of Acts. Keep your fingers here. Here in Romans chapter one. Look with me at verse 9, chapter 9, sorry. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, and by this way he meant those following Christ, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Just stop there for a second and think about this man and what he was doing. He was going around and he was going to investigate and interrogate and find out those who were following this, this man, Jesus Christ, this man that had been crucified and it was purported that he was risen. Uh, uh, I don't know how much Saul knew of Jesus, uh, uh, but he wasn't uh, ignorant of who he was. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. For all we know, uh, the Bible doesn't tell us, but for all we know, he was there when Christ was crucified. The Bible records that the Pharisees were there mocking him. Now, I don't know if Paul or Saul was there, but he was so bent on destroying and ruining what had begun in Jerusalem that he was going into people's homes and taking them from their homes, binding them, and taking them to the temple to be, to be questioned, to be beaten, to be killed. Well, how do you know he was killing people? Because in the previous chapter, he stood there and held the coats. They says they threw them at their at his feet. Meaning, while he stood there and observed and and kind of led everything, they took off their coats and threw them so they could throw those rocks better. While Stephen died, this is the man we're talking about. Now he thought he was doing everything right. He was he was fervently, zealously serving 
a God he didn't fully understand. But on this day, something happens. Verse 3, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Whew. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand, and they, and they brought him and brought him into Damascus. And we can continue reading, but for sake of time, we won't. This was a turning point in, in Saul's life. Something happened on this day as he, as he walked on this Damascus road. Uh, his, uh, he had everything, position, power, authority. Uh, uh, he, uh, he, had he had everything that there was that, that he could attain. In fact, he had worked his life for it. But the Bible says that those things uh, that, that he counted once worthy of honor and worthy of, of, of resting upon and leaning upon, and, 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 and he eventually cast away and counted all as dung that he might know Christ. Because on this day, he met Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that, uh, uh, if you're saved here this morning, aren't you glad that there was a moment when, 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 when God stopped you on your road? Listen, we look at Paul and we think about what he was doing, and uh, he was a wicked, terrible person. Murdering people. Yes, he thought he was right, but what's the Bible say? There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. <laughs> While he may have been what was doing religiously and culturally right, he finally came to an understanding when, when, when he saw Christ that he stood in need of God's grace. And there came a point in time in my life and for many of us here, that when that there came a point in time, not when they heard the gospel uh, uh, necessarily for the first time, not when when they they uh, they they uh, uh, read a tract, uh, but there came a point in time when the Spirit of God. Now listen, God uses the the, the preaching of the gospel, amen. And God uses the uh, sometimes the reading of the gospel, uh, and God can use many different things to work in our hearts to prepare us to get us to a point where we're ready to accept and hear the gospel and, and surrender ourselves to the work of God. But there came a point in His life, and hopefully there's come a point in your life. When you understood that you were in need of God's grace and you were confronted uh, uh, with the fact that you were not what you purported yourself to be, that you were a sinner. Notice what he said there in chapter 9. It says, He fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Notice his first response. Who art thou? Lord, why is this significant? He hears the voice. He falls to his knees. He sees a bright light. Why is that significant? What's his, the first thing he says? Lord, who art thou, Lord? Now, that, you, that may not mean anything to you, but that shows me his heart. He had an understanding that Jesus Christ, or whoever this was, was Lord. Lord means master, the one in control. He surrendered himself unto uh, to him. He, he humbled himself. He kneeled. And he said, who art thou, Lord? He goes on to say, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to, to kick against the pricks. Jesus revealed two things to him. Number one, he says, I am Jesus. 
Now remember, he's a Pharisee. The Pharisees believe that Jesus has been crucified and that this whole account of, of Christ being resurrected was, was either a myth or they're trying to hide the fact. But, but uh, he had heard of who Jesus was. He had heard of the works Jesus had done and he had heard that he'd been resurrected. And he says, who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus. Confrontation. I am no longer dead. I am risen. See, salvation isn't the understanding that, that Jesus Christ died for the sins of all men. That's part of it. It's important for us to know that the reason Jesus died was for our sin. And we're going to get to that. Paul as a, or Saul as a Jew understood the teachings of the Scriptures and understood that we all fall short of the law of God. But Jesus said, and we're going to see here, actually look at verse, if, as long as you kept your fingers in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 4, says this, And declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of the dead. This, this him saying, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Jesus is saying, listen, I am the one that was crucified and am risen again. It isn't enough uh, for us to believe that Jesus died, but the, the resurrection from the dead proves that he is and was and always will be God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that the gospel is the death of, the, uh, of Jesus Christ uh, for the sins of mankind according to the scriptures and the resurrection from the dead according to the scriptures. If there is no resurrection of the dead, there is no hope. It's all a lie. Praise God that he's revealed to us and shown us through many infallible proofs according to 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I am Jesus. And then he says, whom thou persecutest. He says, as you persecute these, these followers of me, you're persecuting me. Uh, and Paul was battling against the, everything that Christ was trying to do. And here's the truth. If you're outside of Christ, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you could be doing the best that you think you, are, you can do. And you, you may uh, doing, be doing everything right as far as you can understand, but you're working against God because you are not working for God. Seriously, if you're outside of Christ, you are against God. Because he would have you to be in Christ. You would have your faith to be in him. And if you reject the Son, you reject the Father. If you deny the, fa the Son, you deny the Father. He says, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. The idea of, is kicking a thorny uh, thorny hedge. It's, it's hard to, 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 to push against that. He's talking about the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If you're saved here, there came a point in time when the Spirit of God convicted you. Now, this is important. This is something for us to grasp because there is a there is, there is a tendency today, especially in, in with with uh, this uh, modern evangelistic style of uh, and I say modern uh, since the 70s, 80s, uh, easy believism, where you just talk somebody into praying a prayer and say, "Well, if you if you want peace, if you want hope, if you want love, uh, uh, God is love. God gives hope. God God is peace, and you can just have a, a wonderful life." And in Christ, you can't have all those things. But to have all those things, something has to take place first. You have to understand that you're a sinner. And the problem is many times we, we downgrade the law and the, the justice of God because we're afraid of running people off. Uh, or, and, and it isn't about trying to cause people to be afraid, but there is a need for people to understand that they need salvation. If I were to come up to you and say, listen, Jake, I just spent my all my entire life savings to get this, this medicine from the doctor. And you need this medicine so you don't die. So here you go. And you're going to say, you fool. Why would you spend that much money? Actually, Jake would probably try to take it and go spend it and, or go sell it and get the money for himself. I'm kidding. I'm just teasing. It would make no sense for him to take it and, 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 and drink it. He might think I'm trying to poison him. Who knows what he thinks I'm trying to do? He might think I'm just foolish and, and ridiculous. But if Jake understands that he has a disease and he's going to die from that disease, then when I give him the cure, he's thankful for it, right? How many times have we tried to witness to people and, well, you're going to go to hell. Why? I'm not that bad of a person. This is about how we feel. But the law of God shows us that we are in need of the forgiveness of God and the, and the, uh, and the atonement of Christ, the payment for our sins. If we, do not, if we are not confronted with the law, it's just a prayer. I, I've had people pray prayers just because, 
and, and I, I'm not proud of this, and, and I, I didn't do it intentionally, but I, I, one of my best friends uh, uh, who, who I worked with for years, uh, and, and we sat and talked with her, and she, she said, I, I just, I need peace. Peace doesn't mean salvation. The truth is we need to be saved. If you're out swimming in the ocean, and I come out and I grab you by the neck and I try to drag you back to shore, you're going to fight me. Because you don't realize you're in a rip current and you're in danger of dying. There needs to be that warning. And so, so here, Paul's kicking up against the, the pricks. What he's talking about is the, the pricking of the Holy Spirit. Because somewhere in his heart, somewhere in his mind, the Spirit of God was, was pricking him and pressing him. And every time that he faced one of those people, there was something in him that was saying, this is wrong. There's something to what they had to say. And he fought against it. And he fought against it because he thought he was right. But there came a point when God confronted him and he could no longer could no longer move forward in that. Hopefully there's come a point in time in your life when you saw there was a need of salvation. Because you were going to stand before God because you are a sinner. Not that you pray to prayer. We talk about ask, telling people to ask Jesus into their hearts. It's not even in the Bible. The Bible does say, call upon, uh, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says, how shall they call on whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom has not been sent? And how, how shall be sent? We, they need the word. They need the truth. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that godly sorrow brings forth repentance. That's a word that we don't like to use a whole lot in, in, in preaching the gospel, but the, but the apostles used it all the time. Now by repentance, I do not mean that you have to clean up your act and that you have to get right before God before he will save you. But you have to repent, change your heart, change your mind, change your direction. If you think that you can get saved and, and, and claim to be a child of God and Continue living in the sin that you've been living in without changing your mind about that sin and changing the direction that you've been living your life? That's not salvation. That's an idea. That's a philosophy. But that's not what the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians 5, where it says, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Jesus himself said, Bring forth fruits of repentance. He was a saved man. What happened? He got saved. First, I just quoted it, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Ephesians 3, 8 says this. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Notice what he said. He used to be somebody. He was Saul, the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He, uh, uh, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He laid out his entire history. But now he says, I'm the least of all saints. I'm, I'm nobody. But because, even though I'm nobody, in this verse he says, I get to be somebody because I get to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.9 says, For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He understood that it, when this salvation happened in his life, that when, when, he, when he changed, he went from being somebody to realizing he was nobody. Realizing that all that he did was worthless. Because the truth is, all that we do is worthless. For, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He had been arrogant and proud. The true salvation humbled him, and it will change us. He was a saved man. And I thank the Lord for my salvation. I thank the Lord that God worked in me, and God said that there was a day in my life when, even though I'd heard the gospel a million times, I'd been in church since I was four days old, Literally, when I was 15, God confronted me. 
I experienced the, the kicking against the pricks. And that had happened throughout my life, by the way. There were, there were times in my life when, when I was convicted and I wouldn't say anything. Convicted. Uh, that, that I, even though I had prayed a prayer, at, I believe at the age of six or seven, uh, at a small church, I had prayed that prayer and made a profession of faith. I got baptized. There were times after that for years where I was convicted of my sin, convicted of my need of salvation, fearful that, that uh, the rapture was going to take place and I was going to be the only one left behind. There were times when I was afraid. But on that day, I couldn't get away from it. On that day, the gospel was preached. On that day, I knew I needed a Savior. And praise the Lord, when the Bible says in Romans, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, he heard me. He was a saved man. Notice Paul wasn't just a saved man. Go back to Romans chapter 1. He was a servant. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. The word servant there is is taken from the Greek word doulos. It it means something a little bit more than servant. There's there's two Greek words that are translated servant, and this one is lower or more humble than the other. Uh, it means uh, the word uh, the work the word for deacon is also translated servant, but this is slave. Now we don't like to think about slavery or what slavery is, but what Paul was saying is, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, biblical uh, slavery is not what we understand as, like, like in our American history, uh, at least uh, what's, what we see most of, uh, but it was more of indentured servitude, meaning there was a debt that you couldn't pay. Uh, how many of us are in debt? I hope none of us. Some of us are, because, well, stuff costs. Back in the, those days, in biblical days, and and. And, uh, and even in the early, early American days, uh, there were what was called indentured servants. They would have a debt that they couldn't pay. Uh, they wouldn't have the ability to ever pay that debt, so, so they would be taken, and they would become the servant uh, or the indentured servitude of, of the person that they owed that debt, and they would try to work that debt off uh, for that person. And we could look back in the Old Testament. We don't have time to do it this morning because uh, we're only on the third word of the of the of the of the message, but or the, of the verse. But uh, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, there came a time when when uh, every seven years uh, uh, it was the year of jubilee, and those indentured servants, even if they had not yet worked off the debt, they got to go free. Praise the Lord for that. That's awesome. Uh, but if they decided that they wanted to stay. At that seventh year, when they, they, if, they, if they chose to stay, they would renounce the life that they had before, and they would be taken and, and brought to a doorpost. And it's the only time in the Bible where I see anybody, anything about somebody piercing an ear. They would take their ear, and they would stick it all to it, and that person would be marked. They would put a, they would put a, a nail through the ear and put a, a hole in the ear. Now, I'm not preaching against women in earrings. What I'm saying is that when they got that, it marked them, for life, that they chose to be a servant of their master. And they would, on that day, declare that they loved their master. What Paul is saying is that he loves Jesus Christ. So much so that everything he does is in his service. He called himself a bond slave, an indentured servant. This, he could have described himself in so many different ways. But he chose to describe himself as a servant of God. But if you remember back in Acts chapter, one, or Acts chapter 9, where we were reading, he said, first, who art thou, Lord? And when Jesus told him who, who he was, what was his next phrase? Do you remember? We didn't read it. What wilt thou have me to do? His life changed. It was no longer about his position. It was no longer about his power. It was no longer about his authority. No longer about uh, all that he had worked for up until that point. When the moment that he got saved, he understood that God was in control. That God, that Christ was his Lord and Master. And he set aside his priorities for the priorities of God. Remember what he was going to Damascus to do? To persecute the church. Did he ever do it? Nope. 
In fact, he got there, and, and, and something changed. Uh, uh, in fact, they, they, they were afraid of him. They heard of, they'd heard of his reputation, but God brought somebody into his life to, 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 to help him along, and, 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 and that, that man helped him for, for years. But, but his life changed from that moment on. He became a servant of Jesus Christ. Say, well, I don't want to see myself as a servant. I don't want to see myself as a slave. I've never seen that. I'm, we live in America, and America is just free. And listen, so is my salvation. For I'm saved by grace, which is free. Grace is free. And salvation is free to you, but it wasn't free to Christ. The Bible declares that we are purchased. Now, for that, though, I want you to understand this. Even if you're not saved, I want you to understand this. You are a servant. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. We can have this argument, even though you're not saying anything. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. Let me prove it from the Bible. John chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees said, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. See, we, uh, and then look over with me, if you would, to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. This says it with a little bit more explanation. Verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead and trespassed in sins, wherein times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. What Paul was, say, what Paul was saying here and what Christ was saying in the Old Testament or, or in, the, in the Gospels was, was this, that if you're outside of Christ, you're in bondage to Satan and to sin. That we all lived according uh, to the, the, the God of this world, by the way, that's Satan. And that we all walked according to the course of this world, uh, his will, his desires. That we all lived uh, uh, in, in, in submission to our flesh, to our, our, our desires, our selfishness, our pride, our anger, our wrath, our love, all of it. We live in controlled by our flesh. That's how we are outside of Christ. That's a problem. Because in verse 1 of Ephesians 2, that's described as being dead in our trespasses and sins. But praise the Lord for the rest of verse 1 and for verse 4. Because it says, but he hath quickened us. He has made us alive. We were once dead in trespasses and sins, but he has made us alive through Christ Jesus. And it says in verse 4 of, of Ephesians chapter 2, but God who is rich in mercy. Praise God for his mercy. Praise God for his grace and how he works in us and changes us. But that's who we used to be. And if you're outside of Christ, that's where you are right now. We're, bondage, we're in bondage to sin. Bondage to Satan. An unsaved man says that he wants to be free. But as he seeks freedom, he goes into the worst bondage. The bondage to sin. And sometimes it doesn't look as bad in some lives as it does in others. But the truth is, if we stop and we think about the end product of, uh, of many of these lusts and desires and things that are, are part of our flesh, it takes us down a dark, terrifying, horrible road and ends up in death. And the truth is, sin always ends up that way, but there's, the Bible says it's, uh, that it is pleasurable for a season. And if we, we, we can live in the pleasures of that sin for a while, but there is a day when we will stand in the, before the judgment of God, when, when everything else is stripped away, and we understand that we will be judged according to our, the works of our flesh. And outside of Christ, that judgment ends in hell. Paul was a servant of Christ. And if you're saved here, you are to be a servant of Christ. You've been set free. Jesus went on to say uh, there in John chapter 8, if the Son shall make you free, and I love the way it says this. It doesn't say set you free, it says make you free. Look it up, there's a difference. If the Son shall 
set you, make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Uh, uh, the, the principal uh, idea behind uh, the, the difference of the words is uh, if you're set free, you can be grabbed again and thrown back into jail. If, if, you're, if you've been arrested and you've been put in jail and somebody comes along and, or you figure out a way to pick the lock and set yourself free, guess what? You can be arrested and put back in, in, in confines and under the constriction of the bondage of that jail cell. But if, if the judge has ordered you pardoned and they let you go and they give you your pardon paperwork, guess what? They can't arrest you anymore. They can't put you, put you back in there anymore because you have been pardoned. You have been declared justified by the judge. God is our judge, and in Christ, we can be declared justified. The door is unlocked, and we cannot be put back in the, the power, in the confines of that jail cell anymore, and have that, that door locked behind us, because we're free in Christ. Romans chapter 8, now there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. I praise God, and I thank God that I'm no longer under the bondage and power of that sin anymore. But I'm to live by faith. And I go from serving Sin to lovingly serving my God. Paul says, the love of Christ constraineth me. The idea is that God loved me. Christ died for me. And because all that Christ did for me, I now live my life for him. I'm his servant. And I, I'm glad to be there. Uh, I mentioned the verses there uh, in the Old Testament. It's Exodus chapter 21, verse 5, 5 and 6. It says, and if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free, that his master shall bring him unto the judges, and he shall also bring him to the door, uh, or unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. And listen, I'm glad to be able to say that I get to serve my Jesus forever, and I love my master, and I love what he's done for me, and I don't ever want to leave him. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, but I'm so thankful for the grace of God that has placed his, his hand upon me, his call upon my life, and uses me as, as worthless and as little and as nothing as I am. I declare myself to be the servant of God because I am worthy of nothing more. And as a child of God, you're to declare the same thing. Paul was a saved man. Paul was a submitted man. Paul was a sent man. This first verse, this first verse is all we're going to get to today. I'm only halfway through it as it is. Paul was a sent man. Romans 1.1 1, 1 again. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. This phrase, called to be an apostle, uh, an apostle means sent one. Now, there is the general idea of what an apostle is. Uh, there were there were uh, some of some others uh, in the Bible that were mentioned to be apostles uh, that are not part of the twelve apostles or thirteen. If you add in, uh, if you had Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles, uh, Judas was not an apostle. They replaced him with Matthias. But there was a certain list of requirements uh, that were needed to be called an apostle. Uh, but there were those who were sent ones. Uh, Titus was a sent one, uh, but he was not an apostle. But Paul was an apostle. He was called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. He was following Christ. He was going where, where Christ had sent him, where Christ wanted him to be. And as we see in verse 6 of Romans chapter 1, it says, Among whom you're also called of Jesus Christ. We're all called to follow Christ. Now, in, in Acts chapter 9, where we, where we read the, uh, the account of the Damascus Road, we, there, only some things are mentioned here. But Paul recounts this, this testimony of his salvation a couple of times through the book of Acts. In the last time uh, he does this, he, he, uh, he tells and, uh, and recounts what happened on that Damascus road, not just that he saw the bright light, bright light, not just that he was confronted by Christ, but then he also announces the, the, that the mission that God gave him on that day was to, to, to take the light of the gospel to all those that were in darkness, speaking of the Gentiles. And listen, that is the, the mission that Paul was sent on. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
And we're not all called to be apostles, but we're all called. Paul was given this ministry in the book of Galatians. It mentions that he was that God had planned this even before his birth, and, and God did that with Jeremiah too. Uh, as we as we look at Jeremiah, it talked about how uh, even before he was uh, formed in the belly of his mother, that, that God had set him aside to be a, a prophet, uh, a voice of God. And and and, and here's here's the, the principle that we can take away from that. Listen, God doesn't just pick this person and that person and choose for them what they're going to do. God has a plan for all of our lives. God has a specific plan before for you for your life you're not here by accident it, it, it wasn't just happenstance uh, i don't believe in in in, 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 in those kinds of things uh, i believe that god in his sovereignty uh, it works in all areas of all of our lives now that does not take away our free will you have the the freedom to obey god or disobey god but as a servant of christ if you're saved God would call us to serve him. It's our responsibility to serve him. We, while we may not be apostles as Saul, or as Paul was an apostle, we are apostles in the, uh, in the fact that we've all been sent. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It is our job to share the gospel. As, as children of God, it is our job to share the gospel with all those that are around us. Because we live in, we live in a dark, sin-filled world that's going to be judged one day. And everybody that you know, everybody that you see in the store, as you walk down the street, as you're driving down the road, every car that has somebody in it, if that person is not saved, they will one day be judged by God. You say, well, it's not my problem. It is exactly our problem. The problem is that we see all these people and we see them blindly. We see them as people. We see them as clerks in stores. We see them as, as, as teenagers getting into trouble and people that cut us off. And we, uh, I'm more likely to shake my fist at somebody because they cut me off in the rotary than I am to hand them a gospel track and tell them God, that God, Jesus Christ died for their sins. And if they don't accept Christ, they're going to die and, and suffer uh, in hell forever. That's a problem. Because we need to stop looking at people as obstacles in our path and start looking at them as the mission field God has sent us to. He was an apostle. He was a sent man. And lastly, he was a separated man. Back in verse 1, Paul, servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. This word separation is one that a lot of people are fearful of today. When we talk about separation, uh, uh, people don't like the idea of, well, you're separating me from these, these things. And we got this list of things as Christians. Well, we just don't do this, and Christians don't do this, and Christians don't do this. When I was, when I was uh, I'm trying to think, fourth grade, I had my first real girlfriend. And uh, when I say real girl, girlfriend in the fourth grade, I meant we wrote letters back and forth, or notes back and forth, and never actually even talked to each other. It was somebody else that passed the letters. Uh, and, and she called me one night, which freaked me out because I'd never talked to a girl for more than three minutes because I was we, I was an awkward kid. And if you saw the pictures of me when I was a kid, you would understand. <sighs> she sent me this, this. She called me and she said, she's asking if I could go to a dance. She goes, my grandma told me not to ask you because Baptists don't dance. And I was like, you're right, Baptists don't dance. I don't know, I was in fourth grade. So that, was, that was pretty much the end of our relationship. It lasted all about two weeks. Now, I'm not saying Baptists should dance. I'm not saying Baptists shouldn't dance. I'm not saying we shouldn't have standards. What I'm saying is this. Is that when we separate ourselves, notice Paul, it doesn't say he's separated from something. It says he's separated unto something. Now, there are things as, uh, there are things as the children of God that I separate myself from because they do not honor God that they would slow me down, that they would hinder my walk. But Paul says it like this in Hebrews chapter 12, to, to, to cast aside besetting sin and the weight, uh, uh, to cast aside the weight of the sin which so easily besets us. We're to, we're to set those things aside that would hinder our walk, that sin which, which will trip us up and the temptation which will, will, will take us off track. We're to do that and we're to run the race that God has set before us. So in doing so, I, in preparing myself to run, there are some things that I do. I, I typically like to exercise. 
uh, but weekends, uh, Saturdays and Sundays are, are rest days for me. And uh, uh, this has only been for the last seven months that I've been doing this. And I don't like to run, but uh, I was limited on time yesterday, and I'd been sitting behind my desk, so I apologize if there are tracks in here, uh, but I came in and I was walking, and I don't mean mud tracks, I mean I wore a path. Uh, I, was, I was walking uh, in between here and, and just walking fast and, and praying, and, and then I, I was like, oh, I wanted to hit this many steps before uh, I leave to go home, and, and uh, I looked at the clock, and I only had like 10 minutes, and I was like, well, there's no way I'm going to do it. So I started running. So thankfully, nobody came in and watched me running a, a figure. It was like, one, two, three. I, I did this back and forth for, for 10 minutes. I hit my steps, and it was a lot of work. Uh, but there was a, I, I was wearing the right kind of shoes. Because I wouldn't run in dress shoes. And I wouldn't, wear, I wouldn't run in overalls. Right? I, I might take off my uh, jacket if I was wearing one. I, I might put on uh, things that you use to exercise. Right? Get yourself ready and prepared. Separate yourself unto something. You know, there's never a person that made it to the Olympics without actually having to set themselves up unto do that. It takes a lot of work and a lot of practice, a lot of exercise, a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of practice. It takes over their entire lives. All for a, a few moments of fame and glory to run in a race. And the only way they get any glory is if they win. Guy comes in second, doesn't get nothing. Well, he gets a silver medal. Our lives would be separated unto something. And if we stop looking at, at it as separating from this and from that and from the world, the Bible tells us to be separate from the world, actually. 2 Corinthians 6.17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean, and I will receive you. But it's not that we're, we're just cutting ourselves off from these things. It's not just a negative. It's a positive. We're, we're separating ourselves unto Jesus Christ. It's not that we're just removing ourselves from something. We're adding ourselves to something else. For, for those of you that like to eat cake, I like eggs. But you know what's better uh, than, than, than just eating an egg? At least it tastes better. It's not necessarily better for you. You separate those eggs, yolks from the egg whites, and then you take the egg yolks and you add them into the flour. And you add in sugar and salt and all the other things. You mix it all up. Now, you've separated it from the egg whites, but you take those egg yolks. I, don't, I'm not, I wouldn't want to eat them just like that, especially the uncooked. It's disgusting. But you put them in something else, you mix it in, it makes it better. It elevates it. When we separate ourselves unto the gospel of God, unto Jesus Christ, you know what we do? We elevate ourselves from what we used to be to what we are supposed to be. It's not a separating from the world. Yes, we're coming out from the world. But we're separating ourselves unto God because we belong to him. It's a positive separation. Paul had already lived a life as a Pharisee. He'd already lived a righteous life. In fact, according to the law, he was blameless. But now he's separated into the gospel. His life was for the purpose of preaching the gospel. And if you follow his life from, from Acts chapter 9 on through, as it begins to speak about him, uh, it stops and it goes to Peter for a little while and comes back to Paul for the rest of the, for the, rest of the, the book. Listen, what you'll see that his life was all about what God had called him to do. He was separated under the gospel. See, when God changes our lives, when, when, when salvation changes us, it changes us, makes us something new. But it's not just how we are, how we act. It's, it's everything about us. So here's my challenge for you this morning. If you're saved... What's your life about? If you've trusted in Christ for salvation, there was a time in your life when you were convicted of your sin and you stood before God and said, or you knelt before God and said, God, forgive me for I am a sinner and save me. And he saved you. Listen, what's your life about now? I'm not talking about your Sundays when you come to church. What about Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? What is the center of our life? What, what is our motivation every day? What is it that drives us? What is it that keeps us going? What is it we're trying to accomplish? 
Because if, if, if we can't say that God is the center of our life, that Christ is our motivation, that, 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 that we are his servants, that, that he has called us, that he has a plan for us, and that we are living our lives and striving to do all that God has called us to do, there's something missing. Because what we are, who we are, the time we have, all that we have is not ours anymore. It all belongs to God. And when we're dealing with and ministering in the belongings of somebody else, that means we're a steward. And Paul says this is required of a steward that he be found faithful. A faithful steward is one who rightly, rightly manages something that belongs to somebody else. If you hire an accountant to, to, to pay your taxes, and instead of paying your taxes, he takes the money and puts it in his own pocket, are you going to hire him again? No, you're going to report him to the cops and try to get your money back and hope he goes to jail forever and ever because he did not rightly manage what belonged to you. You are only managing in your life what belongs to God. Will you be found a faithful steward? A servant of God? Or when the day comes, will we hang our heads in shame? Because yes, we're saved. But we were resistant to being obedient to what God has called us to, to, us to do. Because God has a calling on your life. I don't care if you're 80 years old in this place or if you're 7 years old in this place. God has a calling on your life. If you're saved, God saved you for a purpose. It is not to fill the seats in this auditorium. It is not to, 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 to dress nice and look good on Sunday, though you all look amazing. Uh, uh, it's for none of those reasons. It has everything to do about serving God. And we were to do it as a body of believers because you're not here on accident. God has something for each of us. We all have something to bring to the table. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're to exhort one another unto good works. That's what the church is for. If you're here today, say, well, I think I'm saved. But there's never been a change. I want to remind you of the verse. The Bible says that the one that's saved becomes a new creature. And behold, all things become, old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. If you prayed a prayer and nothing has ever changed, there is no desire in your heart to read the Bible. There is no desire in your heart to be in church. There is no desire to, uh, in your heart to, to, to be with God's people. There is no desire in your heart to follow after God. If there is no, there is no change. The Bible calls that as unfruitful. And Jesus, uh, speaking of, 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 a, of a tree that was unfruitful, talked about how uh, they would, they would uh, uh, if it was unfruitful for a time, they would then, uh, instead of just cutting it down, they would fertilize it and do everything they could to, to, to bring it back to health. But if there was never any fruit, cut it down. And there is going to come a time when God will cut those things down that are not his. I'm not your judge. And I don't stand here judging you. Because I've been in some of the worst places. It's only by God's grace that I'm even here today. But I would be, I would be negligent of the responsibility of the gospel that God has placed upon my shoulders if I were to stand here and say that if you've prayed a prayer that you're safe. Because salvation is not a golden ticket it's not a get-out-of-hell-free card. Salvation is so much more. Salvation is a transformation from being dead in our sins to being alive in Christ. And through the work of the Spirit and the Word of God, He changes us. Some things almost immediately, because there's life in us. And as we grow and mature, everything changes. Saul was a different man the day that he met Christ. Are you different? Or is the only difference is that you come to church on Sunday? Sometimes. Father God, I thank you for this day. God, I pray that I didn't say anything that wasn't of you. And God, I pray that your spirit and your word would work. Lord, I pray that you have your way in the rest of the service. We ask this in Jesus' name.
heads bowed, nice closed for a minute.